Welcome back to the Exit Vila podcast. I am here today with Daryl Jones, former New York Yankee and current volunteer assistant for the Allegheny Gators baseball team. Daryl, it is great to see you again. Thank you for joining on the podcast. How are you? I am doing well, Adam. It's great to see you again since I haven't seen you since the cancellation of the Allegheny baseball season. Yeah, it's, it's certainly it's certainly been a while. How have you been keeping sane during the pandemic, by the way? I have. Um, we, we're in an uh, area that hasn't been hit very hard. Uh, our county probably at this point in time has about, oh, 75, they said, COVID uh, cases. Uh, but it's been relatively good. We have been uh, following the protocol with we wear masks when we go into uh, stores and are in public. But fortunately, in the area where I'm at, what I like to do is golf. And um, since I'm retired and I do a lot of fishing, I don't need to be wearing a mask. And I'm, you know, keeping myself separated from people when uh, we're out on the boat. That's good to hear. And that's good that you're staying active and following protocol so it sounds like you're doing pretty good despite all this oh i am and uh, it's a tough time i know for america we'll get through it and uh, it's just very difficult to come home and not see baseball or all the major sports that are on uh, that have been canceled it's it's uh really changes your life that's for sure yeah it's definitely very weird at least we have baseball coming back in a couple weeks yeah, we hope, and I, <laughs> I hope, I hope, and uh, you know, I don't know. This stuff seems to be very contagious, so I'm hoping. Uh, obviously, golf. I've been watching a lot of golf on TV, uh, also taping it and watching it, and uh, so uh, it's just a, it's just a strange, strange time. You know, never seen anything like this in my lifetime. Obviously, in your young lifetime, you've never seen anything like it, also. Yeah, it's it's certainly different. It uprooted everyone's lives but yeah just trying to find a way to stay sane that seems like to be the key well you know in in my case uh i was i've been retired now for three and a half years and what i do with the allegheny baseball team uh is something that just kept me busy and uh but i found a lot of other things to do uh, like i said meanwhile and uh Spend a little more time with family, uh, obviously trying to take advantage of some things that maybe you didn't before, but uh, you just have to make the best of it and uh, keep a positive attitude. Definitely sounds like you're doing that. So I'm happy that you're doing well and you're staying sane. I can't wait to see you on campus, of course, in the fall. Yep, same here. So with the interview, I'll, let's start kind of from the beginning. What was baseball like in Meadville when you grew up? And did you follow the Gators baseball team? Baseball was very big, much bigger than it is now. Kids just don't seem to be involved in baseball. There just seems to be too many uh, outside activities. When we were growing up, life was so simple. Uh, we played sports. We got tired of playing sports. We went fishing. Uh, you know, we, a lot of us came from lower middle-class families or middle-class families. Parents worked in the factories and, uh, uh, it was just a simple time, uh, a time that I'm glad and happy that I had a chance to grow up in because, uh, it just, it's today just seems to be sometimes just too complicated with all of the, uh, technologies. And I realize those are good things, but, uh, uh, sometimes simple is better. Um, the second part of your question, did I follow Gator baseball? 
not a lot, but I did. I mean, I knew what was going on. I didn't go to their games. I went to a few, but uh, Coach Garbart, who uh, is obviously a legendary coach up in um, up at Allegheny, you know, he played like 13 or 14 years in the uh, big leagues. He was a catcher. I guess he even caught uh, Dizzy Dizzy Dean and uh, Coach Crum has a picture of that that somebody gave him. But uh, uh, so I did follow it. I did know he who he was. I had spoken to him, and we used to play up at Allegheny's Field for uh, regional playoffs for Babe Ruth, which was uh, youth baseball around here. But baseball was really big. Uh, if you looked at uh, even the little town of Linesville where I went to school, they had an American and National League little league, which means they had in one town. They had approximately 10 teams, the little league teams in that small town. And uh, I don't know if they have two now. Uh, I came from a little town of Harmonsburg that, you know, probably had a population of three or 400 people. And, uh, you know, we filled a, the baseball roster had 20 kids on the team. So that was just something that uh, what you did when you were growing up. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it's it's just not it's just not that way today. I think you're making some really good points. Baseball is really struggling right now with their youth movement. And I think a big part of that is that they're not doing a good enough job of marketing a slow paced game like baseball to a generation that came up with iPhones, such as I did. So it might be a little bit difficult in that sense. And we're starting to see a lot of players kind of be mic'd up and, they're also like representing their country and doing a lot more bat flips. Do you think if MLB can market themselves better, we might see the youth play more baseball? Well, they're going to have to. I know there's an initiative that they have going on now. It's an initiative. It's called. It's for the inner city to get more uh, kids of color playing baseball, and and it seems to be working. Uh, I think one of the kids that was involved. Um, the Chicago Cubs number one draft pick was a kid right out of Chicago, which was a black kid uh, that uh, they said he's a tremendous athlete and he played in the inner city. And I, so I, I'm hoping they do. Um, you know, we live, we're out in a rural area out here. And like I said, I just don't see it happening. But yeah, baseball is going to have to do a great marketing. Be, uh, the, like you said, the kids are so used to fast paced things. Uh, they get something now they want instant gratification they want fast stuff and that's where you know you got basketball you got football and i have local kids right down in my neighborhood that are very good athletes that i'm trying to tell them to keep involved in baseball but you know their number one sport seems to be football i i think football and basketball and that you know when it when you're in high school there's always a crowd for those sports and i think that's one of the things that kind of draws kids to it there's always uh uh, fan participation much more than there is in baseball. I will say this, Coach Crum and I did a lot of uh, scouting down in the Pittsburgh area, and Pittsburgh area baseball seems to be live and well down there. That's good to hear that Pittsburgh's doing well, and hopefully they'll help Allegheny recruiting the next few years too. Uh, I've well, heard we have, we have a good, we've had a good recruiting class uh last year and uh, the next uh, this this next year is going to be one of our best also. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be fun seeing the team. Uh, again, I think you re 
uh, bring up a really good point. And I think that there's a lot of inner city kids, a lot of, and a lot of African Americans too, are not playing baseball as much. And I think baseball's kind of turned into almost a middle class, upper middle class sport because we've seen all these types of initiatives such as PBR or perfect game. And that costs a lot of money to go to these events and also get a scouting report on you and send those over to colleges. And there's a lot of people who are in the lower class um, who are unable to do that. And I've, I've read some reports that say because it's not as a, a tune for lower class people, it's also a bit more difficult for African-Americans. Do, do you agree with that? I would absolutely agree. I mean, you couldn't have said it any better, Adam. Uh, that's the way things have been going. But I'm hoping that some of these initiatives, um, you know, will keep kids in the game. There's just a... Uh, I, this is a wonderful game. I, I, you know, I'm obviously biased, um, you know, with baseball. That was always my sport. It's something that I loved. It's something my father, you know, got me involved in at an early age. And, and it's just, uh, I, I just hope that somehow it can make a comeback. I mean, there's just so many different things. The game is so much different. I don't know if we'll talk too much about that, but the game is just so much different than uh, what it what it's been in the past. Um, um, just you know, one thing I, I told some people the other day we were talking, and I had seen this article. You, everybody remembers Bill Buckner was known for the air that he made, uh, you know, during the playoffs. Uh, but Bill Buckner was an outstanding player, played 18 seasons. And in 18 seasons, the day that Bill Buckner died, 16 major leaguers struck out three times or more. You know how many times Bill Buckner struck out three times in his whole 18-year career? I'm guessing zero. Zero. Wow. Not one time. And, and we seem to be getting away from, you know, contact hitting. Everything seems to be home run or nothing, you know. And it, it's uh, that's where the game's gone that I, I, I and I think a lot of us older, you know, players I really don't like because, you know, hitting a baseball is an art. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, you fail to be a great hitter. You hit 300, you fail seven out of 10 times. But now you see guys that have major league careers that they, they can go out and if they hit 30 home runs, they can they can hit 220 and they're still in the lineup. And it's just a much different than it was back when we played. In fact, I, I, I didn't know it, but some of the kids looked up my stats when I was playing uh, every year of pro ball that I had. Uh, out of all of my thousands of bats, uh, I only had a strikeout uh, was around 7%. So I struck out seven out of a, of a out of a hundred times, and nowadays that just isn't isn't happening. You, you, again, you bring up a, a great point in how I think the strikeout right now for the average major leaguer is over twenty percent, which is ridiculous. And how we're seeing unprecedented amount of strikeout numbers, an unprecedented amount of low batting average. I think the batting average now must be under like two fifty or around that mark, which is which is not great. It's turned into an all or nothing game of home runs and strikeouts. And definitely credit goes to some of these pitchers, of course, because they've improved themselves so much and they are reaching triple digit velocity, which even 10 years ago was, was a shocker. So right. that's interesting in itself. And 
I think this season, which is going to be special because it's only going to, supposed to be 60 games, I wonder if we'll come back to see fundamental baseball because teams will have to pull all the stops to try to get to the playoffs. You look at a team like the Kansas City Royals, who have a lot of speedy players but don't have too much else. They might steal as many bases as possible to try to win some ball games because anything can happen in a 60-game season. Even the worst team can maybe go – 32 and 28 and vie for a playoff spot. So do you think this season will bring back some fundamental baseball? I don't know that. I, my, my guess would be no, because I, you know, how, why would they change Just I understand exactly what your point is, but there's so much emphasis on, you know, uh, launch angles, um, uh, ball coming, you know, speed coming off of the bat. I, I know those things are important, but uh, um, it just seems like it all seems to be a power or nothing game. Uh, you know, I grew up in a time when uh, Rod Carew, seven or eight time batting champion was just, it, it was an art the way he swung the bat. And and a time when players, if you hit below 250, you're, there was a good chance you were going to get released, uh, you know, when you were in the minor leagues because 250 just wasn't cutting it unless you were a middle infielder, uh, uh, second baseman or shortstop. That was a different thing. That's game has changed and it has evolved. Now you're seeing that your best, your some of your top hitters are your shortstops, your best athletes. So yeah, times have changed. And one of the things that you did bring up was um, uh, the velocity of pitchers. You know, we had uh, Carlton, we had um, uh, Nolan Ryan, uh, we had guys uh, that could throw the ball, um, you know, 100 miles an hour, but we didn't have the multitude of guys that they have nowadays. The training obviously is a lot better. Um, the nutrition probably is a lot better. And it's, it's the same thing in, in baseball as is in golf. If you look how golf has evolved, you know, there was no workouts back in the days for golf. Now everybody works out because that's the only way that you can stay ahead. Do you, do you think that back in the 70s with maybe baseball but sports in general, was it a better time for sports than now? I mean, I, I understand that now at least you have more technology and that can be a good thing because players are healthier, they can throw harder, they can get the most bang for their buck. They can stay, they can keep up their nutrition. But at least in baseball sense, do you think that the quality of play has worsened since then because we're seeing this new trend of home runs, strikeouts, and less fundamental baseball? Well, I think you know, as old guys, we think it's, you know, it, it's gone the wrong way. But but athletes are bigger. Athletes are stronger. There's no, there's no doubt. I mean, I'm not going to ever – you know, I, I believe, you know, we were strong. We did certain type of things. But but nowadays there's just the people, they know so much more about the body and about how to handle things. So, um, yeah, I would, uh, you know, I'm never going to uh, doubt the fact that, you know, the kids are bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. There's no doubt about that, you know. Um, I, I think what I, the thing that I has have, uh, been disappointed about is the way the game is played. There seems to be no more small ball anymore, not as much uh, strategic things going on. It's, you know, it's all or nothing with swinging the bat. Um, 
uh, went in a, you know, in many days, you always had a little, that little leadoff hitter or somebody that was scrappy that was your leadoff guy that all he wanted to do is put a bunt down or he was going to get a walk to get something started. And, and uh, you just don't see as much as that anymore as far as uh, the strategy of the game. It just seems to be so much more of a power game nowadays. Exactly. I, I really agree with you. For example, runner on second base, no out. We're going to start seeing that this year as an international rule, and that's for innings. We might be seeing more bunts and more people trying to move the runner over, which has not happened in years because now even with a runner on second, even bases loaded two outs and you're down by one, they're still trying to crush the ball at the ballpark and be almost less of a team player than just try to get a single up the middle and score in a couple runs. So it's, it's a different type of ball game, and I, I miss that too. Even a couple years ago, you could see D. Gordon steal 60 bases. I don't know if we'll see a 60-base season again, or we'll see players have complete games from, the, from pitchers, or just even a lot of people getting sacrifice bunts or sacrifice flies. It's a dying art, and it's sad to see because it was such a crucial part of baseball for so long. Well, there's so much specialization now in sports. You know, it used to be uh, back when I played, uh, I, I was looking up some records of when Ron Ron Guidry, you know, uh, pitched a complete game. Uh, I was watching a, a highlight the other day of the Expos playing. I think it was the Dodgers in the playoffs. No, it might have been Atlanta. Oh, I, but anyways, whoever it was, it was my roommate, Ray Burris, and he pitched, uh, you know, they had talked about him pitching a complete game and uh um it just doesn't it doesn't happen nowadays because they're just so much specialty which which really seems like it would make the um you know make your career longer but there seems to be more injuries more injuries than there used to be in the old days is it because they throw so hard or is it because kids nowadays play too much uh, baseball and don't play, you know, cross, do cross uh, training with other sports. I don't know. That's an argument that I don't know. We never, I, we never heard of Tommy John surgery, by the way, a guy that I played when I went to the big leagues, he was on the big league team uh, with the Yankees. Uh, you know, I, I, Adam, I, this is really kind of strange, but my phone is as I'm looking at the power on it right now, and I only have 5% power. So I'm wondering if we may be able to take a break while I go ahead and put in a, um, a source to make sure this doesn't go out on us. Yeah, go ahead, by all means. Yeah, go for it. Okay, thanks. Yep. Uh, while we wait for Coach Daryl Jones to come back, I, uh, I know him because I go to Allegheny College, and he's currently a volunteer assistant there. He is super, super nice, had a good long talks with him, and really just a great guy. And he comes from Meadville, Pennsylvania, and for decades there wasn't too many people from Meadville. It's a small town where my school, Allegheny, comes from, the school that Coach Jones works at. It's about – actually, I guess it's more of a small city. It's about 10 to 12,000 people, and there's not too much baseball there. I, I was just uh, saying for those who are watching about uh, Meadville baseball and how they're, it's like a small, it's a small city, but you and your brother Lynn, who both got drafted respectively, how you guys had such an impact on the media uh, when you guys were coming up. Okay, I think we've solved the problem right now. 
Let me, uh, we've got an alternative source now. And let me just see if I can. Am I actually on video also? Yeah, you're on video. It's, it's okay, all good. I'll just, I'll just hold this here then. Okay. It seems like now I've got my uh, alternative. I've got a power pack on, so we shouldn't go dead anyways, you know. So, yeah, we came from a very small town. Um, um, little town of Harmonsburg, where we grew up, was only about three or 400 people. Uh, we didn't have baseball playoffs back in the day, only locally for high school. Uh, we had one of the best best high school teams. I would, I always tell everybody, I says, if we'd had playoffs back then, I was not only my brother and I, we had um, seven or eight other players on, on the team locally that were actually really good players. A couple of them went on and played college baseball. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun time and, and baseball was the thing back then. So that's what we did. And we played basketball during the uh, school during the uh, winter time. We didn't have football, and um, we played uh, baseball in the springtime. I think my high school team, I, my four years that I played, we were something like seventy-three and four, which wow. was pretty awesome. Now we played some teams that weren't really good, but we had about three teams in our league that were very good. Uh, I can think of Conneaut Lake locally. Um, uh, we had a kid named Donnie West that went on to the University of Penn and pitched at the University of Penn. Uh, a couple other players on that team went on and played uh, uh, Division Three uh, or Division Two baseball. So there was some other teams in our leagues that were good, and then we had some that maybe weren't quite as competitive. But we we had an awesome high school baseball team. That's really cool to hear that you guys really came from a nice little baseball town and how there were so many people who made into even college ball, which is a little surprising because when a town's that small, you think that there wouldn't be too many people making it pretty big and pretty in the up, pretty high in the upper levels. Well, the, 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 weird, the funny thing is about um, um, there wasn't a lot of recruiting back then. You know, I, I had tremendous high school career, and I was never even recruited to play college baseball. And nowadays, you'll see the recruitment process is so big, um, you know, even down to Division Three level. But um, I went to Westmin Westminster College, which is right down the road, and and uh, they were known for their basketball and their football. And I just uh, was going there to get an education. I also knew I wanted to play baseball. And fortunately, um, uh, I had some coaches that knew, thought that I had some ability and uh, helped me out as uh as far as uh, getting them in, into a collegiate league that helped, uh, you know, my uh, career along the way where I before I got drafted. And, and uh, so sometimes you just it looks like the man up above just kind of puts people in your lives that that um, that helped you out, that uh, helped you along the way. It's really fortunate that your coaches helped move you to a collegiate league. I didn't even realize that there were too many collegiate leagues during the 70s like that? There wasn't very many. Uh, I believe there was the Cape Cod League, and mm -hmm. uh, I played in the Shenandoah Valley League. Um, okay. uh, my, my college baseball coach, George Wagner, grew up in the Newcastle, Pennsylvania area, and he grew up with Chuck Tanner, uh, Oakland Athletics and Pittsburgh Pirates manager. And uh, he saw that I had some talent and had played very well as a freshman. 
uh, we used to play. It was funny when we, we were a division, we actually we're an NAIA school, very small school, but we used to play division one. We used to play the University of Pittsburgh. We used to play Youngstown. And I really got my big break when I uh, went up against Doc Medich, who was a pitcher for the Yankees in the 70s. He was playing at the University of Pittsburgh. And uh, I had, I think, two doubles in a game off of him. And that's when scouts really started taking notice of me. And um, then I got an opportunity to go to Madison, Virginia, to play in the uh, Shenandoah Valley League in 1971. That would have been before my, oh, let's see, before my sophomore year or after my sophomore year. And then the following year, uh, I had a very good year there. And the following year, it was uh, going to be 1972, was going to be before the draft. Uh, the coach from Sh uh, Madison did not have a team. So I went to the Shana uh, Shenandoah. And uh, there was just the uh, town of Shenandoah. And, and uh, the, my whole infield, my whole infield was drafted. Um, uh, Rick Richardson was uh, out of North Carolina State, was a first baseman, was drafted in the fifth round by the Milwaukee Brewers. Billy Hall was University of Virginia, was in the sixth round with San Diego Padres. John Harbin out of Newberry College was drafted by the Dodgers number one in the supplementary draft. And I was drafted by the Yankees. I was the third baseman on that team. And I was drafted in the fifth round by the Yankees. So we were loaded. Uh, and uh, we went down just recently, oh, a couple years ago, to uh, to celebrate um, uh, the career of uh, Coach Doffelmeyer, who uh, was down in Shenandoah. And uh, he, he said to me, he says, you know, that was one of the most stacked teams he said he's ever had, you know, when he – but he lost his whole infield that year. He brought more players in, and they still won the title that year. <laughs> wow, that's that's a cornucopia of just baseball talent. And to be frank, I, I really hadn't heard of the Shenandoah Valley League before you were telling me about it. So it sounds like good opportunity, taking the most of these opportunities and the people you know kind of helped you get into professional baseball. And just talking more along the lines of that, how was your experience with the Yankees and in their minor league system? Because I, I, I did some background research before, and I saw that you spent seven years in the minors before you made your major league debut. Yeah, you know, the, the Yankees had always been and always were in the 70s stacking. They had a stacked lineup. They were always getting um, – um, it wasn't just myself, but there was a lot of players. Uh, we saw players in other organizations that got to the uh, big leagues and uh, guys that we had really outplayed in the minor leagues. And they got to the big leagues with other teams. And, um, you know, here we were still I mean, we won championship after championship down in the Yankee minor league organization because we were just so stacked. Uh, you know, I was originally drafted as a shortstop. And one of the one of the downfalls was the fact that they changed me. I don't I don't know if I was really going had the range to be a big time shortstop. So they moved me to the outfield. So I had to learn how to play the outfield after being in the infield all of those years. The one thing that kept me going was the fact that I could hit. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had the ability to hit the baseball. If you looked at in Triple A. Um, 
I think my first year I hit 300 in the, in the New York Penn League, and then I hit 320-something in the Florida State League. The only league that I – I think I hit 298 one year. The only league that I did not hit uh, 300 in was the, um, the uh, Eastern League, and there was very few 300 hitters there. And if you'd have seen some of the ballparks, you would know why, because the lighting was absolutely terrible. <laughs> but when I, when I got to AAA – um, you know, I was made the all-star team and was the, um, uh, played in, um, Syracuse, Syracuse, and I think hit 330. Then I went, we played in Tacoma, Washington in the Pacific Coast League one year, and I hit 320 something there. Uh, so I could hit, uh, there's everybody that's ever played with me or knew about me. They knew I could hit, and that's what I was noted for. There's an old saying in baseball that if you can hit, they'll find a place for you. It seemed like every step of the way in the minors where if they had to place you at third base or shortstop or outfield, you could always hit. So it seemed like you always found your way in the lineup. Well, and I did. And, you know, I, it, when I finally did get to the big leagues and, and, and uh, I got that call, I was actually wasn't even at, at, wasn't even starting. I just came off a three hit three twenty something to the Pacific coast league. And went to start my seventh or eighth season or seventh season in the uh, minors. We were back in Columbus, Columbus, Ohio, and uh, Gene Michaels, a uh, legend, you know, a longtime shortstop for the Yankees, was my manager. And I, I you know, I said, Gene, I says, I don't understand. I says, uh, I just had one of my best years. And I said, I, you know, I'm not even a starting lineup. And he told me, he says, hey, he says, the, those orders are coming from upstairs. He says, keep your head up. And there was a uh, rookie prospect that obviously they, you know, they were high on. And uh, so actually I was like the fourth outfielder. Uh, that outfielder only hit about a buck and a quarter through the first month and a half of the season. I was getting pinch hit appearances and getting spot starts, but I was playing very well when Reggie Jackson had a uh, pulled calf or Achilles uh, problem. And uh, that's when uh, uh, I had kept my head up and kept my nose uh, clean. And, and that's when I got my opportunity to go up. Unfortunately, in the same year that uh, the same year that I went up to play and got up, um, uh, when Reggie came off the, I think it was uh, Figueroa pitcher and Reggie and somebody else came off the disabled list. I got sent back to AAA, was supposed to be recalled in the fall, and I was having problems with my knee. And uh, that fall was when uh, I went to Lenox Hill Hospital and they did an exploratory surgery and found out that I had a actually a hole in the bone in my knee, which was from wear and tear. And it, it was something that was not going to recover. It wasn't a meniscus. It was actually the bone. And and that was that basically was the end of my career. Jeez. Wow. That is that's really tough. Yeah, it was. It was tough for me. But, uh, you know, it's uh, things happen for a reason. And, and you know, uh, I still still can say that I got an opportunity to play in New York with a lot of really good players. Uh, um, you know, it's, the lineup is, you know, Greg Nettles. Um, uh, Roy White, Mickey Rivers, Willie Randolph, um, Lou Pinella, Ron Guidry, Catfish Hunter, Goose Gossage. These are Hall of Famers. And my favorite player um, 
who died when I was there was was Thurman Munson. He was a just a class act, uh, just a class act guy. And uh, you know, he died in the unfortunate plane crash, and uh, that was the summer of '72. I, I know so many people who still mourn the death of Thurman Munson because he looked like he was having a Hall of Fame career. He was the Yankees captain at the time. What was it like, I guess, playing alongside him and finding out that he had passed away so suddenly? Well, you know, one of the things I have, uh, you know, up, upstairs in, in my home here, I have a, a bat that was signed by Thurman Munson. We used the same bat, and in spring training, he was, was supposed to be getting an order from Louisville Slugger, and uh, his bats weren't in yet. And he said, I was being sent back down to AAA. That was in uh, 79. And uh, he says, Jones, he says, uh, could I, you leave a few bats down here for me? And, you know, obviously, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and plus, he was such a good guy. And so I left some bats. He sent a bat down with one of the club guys uh, that just says to Daryl Jones, uh, best wishes. Thurman Munson, and I still have that bat to this day upstairs in my uh, with some of my other collection. Thurman Munson was a just a super individual, and one of the things that I, I'll never forget, we were on the uh, we went on a West Coast trip, and and uh, we uh, were on the bus going to the hotel, and I was sitting next to Thurman, and he had said to me, he said, you know, I've been a um, MVP in in a, in the World Series. He says I've won a World Series. He said I've been on All Star teams. He said it had taken a toll on him as far as his family. He wouldn't hadn't been, so that was one of the reasons why he was trying to learn how to fly because he wanted to be able to commute more. And he also had said that he tried to see if he could possibly get traded to the Indians so he would be close to Canton where his home was at. So it was just kind of a little thing that I knew about him that he had had, you know, like I said, a great career. But he said he uh, he told me, he says, Jones, he says, this is new for you. He said, you're excited, he says, because, you know, you're just a rookie. Uh, but he says, I've done this for a long time. And he says, I want to spend more time with my family. And he was a big time family guy. I did not think I could like Thurman Munson even more. But he, <laughs> he sounds like such a humble guy. And I've already heard reports about that, but just the class act of him signing the bat and just wanting to be with family because so many baseball players, of course, they miss their family when they're on the road, but to go as far as learn how to fly and ask to be traded from a two-time World Series Yankee team, that, that's, that's huge. Not a lot of players seem like they would do that. Uh, he was, a, you know, not only, there was a lot of classy people on that team. Uh, Chris Chambliss, um, uh, Willie Randolph, Roy White, Lou Pinella, just Nettles, uh, Gidry, Catfish Hunter. You know, these were big time names in the in the game at that time, but they were just good people. And, you know, it's, it's the same thing when you play on a college team or whatever um, to be a good competitive team you have to have there has to be some kind of integrity or have good people yeah there's you get those certain ones but to have that cohesiveness on a team when you're playing with guys for 160 games 
you need that type of camaraderie. And there were just a lot of class act guys on that team. It's funny because I don't, I don't think a lot of like baseball people like my age know too much about the camaraderie in the, of these players in the seventies, especially in the Yankees team, because you hear about the seventies Yankees team, you hear Bronx zoo, everyone's a character, everyone's kind of crazy and wild and a bit, I don't know. I guess they got the feeling that they were a bit selfish, but now I'm starting to rethink that because it seemed like everyone was really good. And I guess you kind of have that culture in a winning team. I'm not going <laughs> to jump on anybody right now, but there were a few selfish players and there always is, you know, but a lot of times, um, uh, and, and you still see that nowadays, but if you even look at now, nowadays, you'll see, you know, whether it's baseball or it's football, um, it sometimes players, it's not good for the locker room when you have the I.I. guys, you know. Um, I, I, I think the big thing about the Yankees when I went up was is that they were veterans. You know, they knew their position that, uh, you know, they knew who they were and they were comfortable in their own skin. And uh, again, just really good people. And uh, I, I don't think when I went up as a rookie, uh, when, whenever we were on a road trip, I don't think I ever, when we went out to dinner, I don't think I ever had to buy a dinner because they always felt the rule was, is that, you know, the rookie's not making as much money as they are. So they take care of the bill when you're on the road. That's just the way, the way they were. And, and that's what I remember. It's nice that you had a lot of really good experience with these legends on the Yankees, people that are still told in baseball folklore. And it's nice to see that these baseball traditions like paying for meals for rookies, or I, I've heard also in the 2000s of players like buying them uh, their first suits and helping them out with like interviews. So it's nice to see that that tradition went all sure. the way back to the 70s. Um, we almost yep. are out of time. And right before we go, I want to ask you about how you became a volunteer assistant for the Gators and what your experience has been like for them. Uh, it's been a great experience. Um, uh, obviously, Brandon Crum, who is the head coach, he was an assistant coach um, um, seven years ago when I started there. And he, they, uh, he had asked the head coach, I'm trying to think who the head coach was now, um, uh, the names isn't important, but um, he uh, said, hey, I, we've got a baseball guy. I was uh, Brandon's uh, Crumb's American Legion baseball coach, and I coached American Le Legion when I came back here and brought my business back here, uh, working in the insurance business, and then I started coaching American Legion baseball. So that's um, how I, you know, hung in with the baseball, and then they asked me to, uh, and I coached some um, – uh, some high school and some little bit of basketball and, and that. And they asked me, would I be interested in coming up? And I said, I would be absolutely uh, interested in helping with the college students uh, uh, at that age. And so that's how I really uh, having a connection with Brandon uh, as he was a player for me. And uh, now I'm going into my seventh or eighth year at Allegheny College. And uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy working with the kids and uh, looking forward to uh, one of these days uh, winning a championship. We were off to such a good start. Obviously, you knew we had the conference pitcher of the year and Sean Keeley and, mm -hmm. and uh, 
we got off to a one-two start, and then we rolled off four wins in a row against, I believe it was Utica and uh, W&J, who had been in the College World Series two of the last three years, actually runner-up at the College World Series. And I was real high on this team, you know, of actually doing something. But um, I'm very high on the future because we've had the best two recruiting classes uh, last year and this year coming in uh, that uh, we're real excited about the future of Allegheny baseball. I can attest to how good that baseball team was this past year, being behind the booth and hanging out with you guys on the sidelines. And yeah, you guys definitely had a chance. And it seems like that you guys will make a title run sooner rather than later. So that's, that's really cool that you've been a part of that. That is all the time we do have for today, however. So thank you so much for joining me today, Coach Jones. I really appreciate it. Well, listen, it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I obviously first got to meet you with um, the uh, analytics team up there. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's been a pleasure. And I look forward to seeing you in the fall. I look forward to seeing you there. And until right. next time, thank you for all our viewers for tuning in. This is the Exit Vila podcast.